Hey everybody, it's your host Hampton Dorch and I am honored to welcome my guest today, Dan Lathrop. Dan, I'm giving him the title Best Mustache on LinkedIn. And if you're watching this or you see a clip from this, uh, you will witness and agree with that today. So I'm excited to have him. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Awesome, Hampton. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me. Great opportunity. And thanks for complimenting my mustache. Uh, of course. Um, man, you've got like the the little like twirl at the end of it. That I mean, that's just impressive. I feel like you've had to really probably go through some early awkward stages. Um, mm. But, you know, now look look at where you are. You know, we can almost make an analogy about this. You know, people probably oh, yeah. talk about, oh, the overnight success of someone. And you're like, oh, no, I, I bet you've gone through some some challenging times growing that thing, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, totally. It's super awkward at first because everyone's like, what's that on your upper lip? Uh, and then as it starts to like curl out, like you have one side that's more dominant. Uh, and even, well, even now it's, I, I, there's a process, right? Like it's, you know, you know, I'm unveiling and being vulnerable. I use a, I have to use a blow dryer. I have product for it. My wife will joke and friends of ours will joke that I take longer to get ready than she does. And that may or may not be true. I won't confirm or deny it, but it's definitely a, a reality. It's, it's not easy to walk around with something like this. Oh man, that's awesome. I, I love the, I love the vulnerability. We're, we're starting off strong. Um, and, and speaking of that, I want to jump in to your story and just, uh, ask you about something that I've seen you post about. We've talked about before. And mm -hmm. one of my things that I really like about Dan is I feel like he's just really open with, with the world. A lot of times social media, in this case, LinkedIn, where, you know, I spend a lot of time and so does Dan, it, it's easy to feel the temptation to make it a highlight reel, but if you mm -hmm. act like a real person, it resonates with people more. And I feel like you do that really well. So um, we can jump in wherever you want with your story. One of the key things I remember is you talking about um, being in a ministry capacity, maybe you wanted mm -hmm. to be a pastor. And uh, mm -hmm. can you tell us a, a bit about that story? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we served uh, at a church in Massachusetts when we lived there at the time. And uh, we were multiple capacities. Uh, my, my wife had served previously. Uh, you know, in a different role at some point in time, uh, non-paid, it was, you know, on a volunteer basis. And so we also did youth ministry together. And I think we had a, one child at the time. Uh, so this is going back a, a decade, essentially. And uh, we had um, a, a friend of ours, well, he became a friend, was a consultant of the church, came to help just align us and get clarity uh, on team development, where the church is going. And um, he was my direct oversight, my mentor. And one of the things that he was doing is um, giving people disc assessments to understand their behaviors. Um, that was collectively going to help our overall team uh, so that we could be a strong, cohesive unit. We could move in sync. Um, I often think of like the military example. You watch military movies. They're communicating that, you know, they're covering each other, that, that type of thing. So you want to see that in a team dynamic, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, as well. And mm -hmm. so we, we did my, I took the disc assessment. We were going to have a debrief and he knew, you know, my eyes were set on, I think I want to be a pastor. I think I want to lead a church. And I got my results and we, we debriefed on him. We talked about him and he, he was the kindest man because he was honest. And he said, Hey, Dan, with, you know, your results and the way that you behave and the way that you act, you, you don't have the makeup of what a traditional pastor within, you know, these churches would be. And it was, it was gut-wrenching, right? You know, you have your eyes set on this. And again, I was young, naive, all the things. Um, 
And so it was, it was hard. I probably, I probably cried at some point in time, you know, after that, you know, alone in, in my room or talking to my wife about it. Um, but as I look back, I was so thankful for that. Right. Because he was, um, there's an old, old song. I don't know who it is, but the, the lyric is, uh, uh, clear, uh, I think clear to be kind in the right measure, uh, cruel to be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be kind is a very good sign. Don't know who sings it. But essentially, you, you need to be able to be kind when you're giving hard news. And so he kind of was, but it, it didn't face him because he knew he was doing me um, the honor of, of doing that. You know, he'd be doing me a disservice by lying to me. So th that was part of that journey. Um, and it took some time for me to process through. Uh, but that that really was a pivotal moment for me to go, who am I? I need to become more self-aware. And that's really what that relationship with that guy, he was a mentor of mine for years. He actually still he lives here in Texas in the town that we do. Um, he is the reason um, that I wanted to become a coach and the reason that I got involved with disc assessments and helping people with self-awareness. So everything, you know, kind of leads back to him investing in my life and um, me wanting to replicate that and even take it further. That's huge. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, especially because a lot of the people listening are probably around the age that you were when mm -hmm. you got that feedback. And yeah. so, um, I mean, what kind of encouragement do you have to, to the, to the young professional with, with the big hairy goals that, um, you know, may, may need to, to take an assessment to seek wiser counsel, to humble themselves and listen to maybe advice that they're getting or seek it out to make sure that the direction they're heading is one that, that seems wise. Yeah. Uh, I'd say if you get discouraged, that's a, like, that's okay. Like don't try and run and avoid discouragement because it's good to have big dreams and it's good to think you might want to do something, but also know that life has seasons in that particular season. It felt as though that was the direction that we were supposed to go. Um, but we had, you know, a, a correction in the middle of that. Right. So I think of like air traffic controllers, there's a storm coming, you need to get up to higher altitude, you call to them that, you know, they help kind of give you that guidance in that direction. And I, I actually see that mentor in my life. Uh, he's done that many times. And so, you know, not allowing the discouragement to take over, but seeking out um, relationships with people who are, you know, maybe a couple seasons ahead of you and getting some, some peer feedback. Um, I think those two things are, are vital because one, someone who's a couple seasons ahead of you, they can, you know, speak some truth into you. Peers also can, can give their perspective. Um, but being able to get into relationships where, you know, iron sharpens iron. You're around people who aren't going to be uh, an echo chamber. They're not just going to tell you, yes, they're going to be real and authentic with you. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. Like relationships, I don't think are always meant to be like easy breezy. Like there's a reality that life is difficult. There's hard conversations that need to happen. Um, and I've, I've even heard, um, uh, someone talk about how, you know, you're, you complain about your life, but I'm, I'm messing up the quote. You complain about your life, um, the way that it is, but the change is right behind the, the hard conversations you're not having. Um, yeah. and so I think that there's a reality to that. And as soon as you can have that hard conversation, immediately the next hard conversation that day doesn't seem that hard because you've just got over that hurdle. Yeah, man, that's good. So when you got this 
feedback, this hard news, when the, the mentor that you sought out gave you the news that you weren't looking for, did you immediately accept that? Or did, did, did pride bubble up a little bit and you're like, no, like th this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. Did you push back a little bit or did, did you, you know, immediately have the, the humility to like, listen and, and understand? Uh, I think I probably tried to hide my emotions. So I definitely didn't push back. I definitely um, listened to try and understand what he was communicating to me. Um, and initially at that time, uh, my results on the disc, again, I can talk a little bit more, uh, a higher overview at a different moment, but I, I, I got an S, which is steadfast, steadiness. Think of like, they're loyal, a golden retriever. Um, if in an animal world, that's how I would refer to it. And so that isn't the ideal for someone who's going to be a pioneering leader, someone who's going to be a visionary. Um, and so I think part of who I was at that time is I was trying to figure out who I was. Um, and so I was probably rather timid um, then, not so much now. And so I definitely listened uh, to what he had to say. Uh, you know, got the process through that, but he did, there was a pastor within the movement that we were part of at that time, uh, who was a similar style as me. And so he said, Hey, reach out to this individual, talk to them and see what they, what they do. So then I had a few email exchanges with this particular individual. So it was, in, it was encouraging to me to at least know, Hey, there was one person who, you know, might have had certain giftings, but behaved similar to me, um, to at least get their feedback and hear what they had to say. Um, but it was definitely a journey. It wasn't like, Hey, you're not going to, you're done doing any sort of ministry because this isn't for you. That was just, this is what's going on. And then within the next year and a half, we had our second kid and, you know, our direct oversight and our lead pastor, you know, they said, Hey, listen, you're the demands at home are going to be greater. You've been doing this on a volunteer basis. It, it makes, it makes the most sense to try and figure out a transition. And we were like, Hey, that's great. We'll be, we'll begin to pray about it. And yeah, we prayed about it and we felt like, God said, hey, it's time for you to, to step away from doing youth ministry. So within about a year and a half's time, we were stepping out of that ministry role. Um, so it wasn't an immediate thing. Getting that response from that assessment wasn't the end all be all and boom, you're cut off, you're done. No, we were still in that capacity and served. Um, but God was doing other things, uh, I think, behind the scenes that then led to say, OK, yeah, my capacity is going to change. I'm still working a full time job while doing youth ministry. Something's got to give. And so it made the most sense. And the, the transition was so honoring. It was so honoring of them to approach us and to say, hey, we think that this season is going to be a difficult one. So it, it may be best for you to get some more family time. Yeah. Wow. That is really great of them. I, I love this quote. One of my, my pastors says it a lot, but he says, God gives us enough clarity to take the next step, but not too much to eliminate the need for faith. And I can mm -hmm. imagine you in that time period, young and ambitious, like, uh, like I try to be, and like, I know a lot of, you know, the listeners do, you want to know, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a lead pastor, what, what am I going to be? What is my calling? What is my purpose? <laughs> and like, you want to know right then. And it sounds like you had a year, year and a half of, of learning and, and processing, um, until you, you kind of began on your next journey. And so I know that that was, you know, around 10 or so years ago. And I mm -hmm. still see you talk about the disc assessment quite a lot. Now, was that something that for the last 10 years, you, you just uh, really learned or, or did you kind of forget about it for a while and pick it back up when you started coaching? You know, 
keep going with the story. I want to hear what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, when I took that disc, that was the first disc assessment I've ever taken. I had, I think heard about it at a financial institution that I worked at at, one, at some point in time. Uh, I was just very, I was always interested in assessments and self-awareness and trying to understand each other, you know, uh, Myers-Briggs. So that was another assessment that I was familiar with at, at the time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go and get certified right away. It was again, something that I utilized. So I talked the talk with language. Um, so we, we would have friends come over and I joke with my wife, they probably hated coming to our apartment because it would always end, it, it would always end up in a disc conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't like I was trying to back people into a corner. It was just the way that the conversation would go and with the questions I was asking. I, I think as someone who has a, a coaching um, gifting, if you, if you want to call it that, or, or a coaching mindset, I just was always so interested in help trying to understand people and what made them tick and, you know, well, why didn't you like that? And so it just always ended up in those disc conversations and um, I feel bad and I apologize to all the friends that didn't want to be in those conversations, but it wasn't until I think 2017 when I officially went and got my certification with disc. So there was, you know, a handful of years where I talked about it. I wasn't actually giving anyone the assessment, but I, was explaining it a lot of the time. Um, I was, you know, finding free resources online to provide to friends or coworkers. Um, ironically enough, I, I did it at one of the financial institutions I worked at. I was so um, over the top about assessments, and I think 16personalities.com was one that I had found and really liked. And I got to do a 16 personalities like debrief with. Um, our, our branches, there was only two branches. And so we had a staff meeting one time after work. And so everyone took it. And then I, I gave a little presentation about it. And it was one of those moments where I felt so out of place, but, I, but I was also like in the heart of what I should be doing. If that makes sense. I don't know if you've ever yeah. had that feeling like you're doing what you feel like you're supposed to do, but you still feel so out of place. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a very interesting experience for me. And I think that, that also led eventually into me getting discs. So that was the story was a little bit out of order, but yeah, I got okay. certified 2017 um, and have been using it ever since. Okay, man. I love that. So when you, when you got certified in 2017, did you uh, become a coach around then or, or did it take a little bit longer? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say I didn't, I haven't, the official time that I would have said that I was a coach probably was, like a year and a half, two years ago, I would have said, I think I'm going to try and do this like life coaching thing. Mm -hmm. But when we were doing ministry, you know, I was coaching team members or coaching other staff members or, or friends. Again, you know, people were just showing up. That's just, we were living life together. That was community. And so that's what, that's what we did. Um, so it was all happening organically without that title. Even me getting coached by my mentor, he never said, I am coaching you. And this is what like, that never happened. It just happened organically. And then, I had a recollection of, oh, this is like, this was coaching. And so because it impacted my life so deeply in a positive way, I then was like, I just want to make sure I can do this for other people. So I never labeled it. Um, but within the past couple of years, it's a goal of mine to eventually be able to do it full time. I would love to be able to be a coach full time to help people, you know, achieve their goals and to believe in themselves more because that's, one of the things that I've found in talking with people the past couple of years is 
we're our, our biggest obstacle. We're in our own way for no good reason. We just, that's, we build those barriers and those walls to keep ourselves confined uh, because we believe the lies that our mind will tell us. Mm. I think some of the best business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs that I've seen are the ones that do the thing for free. They don't even know that they're doing it for a while. It's just, it's just part of who they are and the way that God made them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, how can I transition into spending 40 plus hours a week doing this? Because I feel like this is how I serve people mm -hmm. best. And I'm, I feel like I'm watching that happen with you, which, which I think mm -hmm. is, is really cool. So you said in your conversations, you're finding that a lot of people are just in their own way. Tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, it's whether it's, you know, trying to create habits, you know, I'm trying to create a morning routine or I'm trying to get this, or, you know, I really want to make sure I get to the gym, but I don't know how to do that. So it's oftentimes it's just self-inflicted. It's, it's the intentionality and, you know, they're kind of getting their own way, like the, the busyness quote unquote, because I, I believe that busyness is a choice. Um, and it's definitely not something to boast about in my, my opinion. Um, sorry if for people disagree. Um, but th that's one of the biggest barriers, right? Is being able to just push that mindset that's restricting you out of the way. It's, I haven't read atomic habits, but I've watched a lot of interviews and listened to James clear. And I, I love his newsletter, but I feel like it's a lot of those principles, right? Like you want to go to the gym in the morning? make sure you go to bed at a reasonable time and lay out all your gym clothes the night before. Like, again, I don't, I don't go and tell them you need to do this, but I'll ask questions to help, help them realize what could they do that's going to set them up for success, right? Because a successful morning routine starts the night before. So you, uh, you, my encouragement oftentimes when people are trying to accomplish goals, whatever it would be, I always tell them, start with the end in mind, right? It's like using a GPS. You put in your final destination, and it tells you the best route. The same thing would go for um, a goal. You're trying to accomplish X, Y, or Z. You know in your mind's eye, this is what it looks like. Okay, we know the destination. Well, now through that coaching relationship, that those coaching conversations, we then be, you know, as the coach, I kind of like the GPS, I ask questions to help them figure out which street that they need to turn on so that they can get to that final destination. Yeah, I, I love the the question asking there. I, from what I understand, a big part of coaching is not necessarily telling what that that's more consulting, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Coaching, you're just asking people questions and helping them uh, understand and figure out that they probably are in their own way. Like one of the things you said is that busyness is a choice. Mm -hmm. And maybe that does, sure, maybe that does ruffle somebody's feathers. But but really, I I agree with you. I mean, it sounds like something that I could tell when you said that that's something you're, you're pretty adamant about. Mm -hmm. talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. Part of it goes back to um, Britt and I got married young and we had kids young and we were in community and, and life uh, with people who were single and who were our age, maybe a little bit older. Not that I was, I'm not trying to sound judgy, but when I would hear people in our community who were single talk about being busy, it really grinded my gears because mm -hmm. it was self-inflicted. They were, they were saying yes to too many things, potentially. Again, I don't know everyone's circumstances. And I remember having um, exciting conversations with some of these individuals about it because, you know, they would push back when, when I might, you know, ask a question about something. 
And so that's that's something that's stuck in my head is we we have the the choice to choose what we work on that day, whether single, married, you know, whatever it would be. We can fill our calendar to to make it look like we're doing something or to make ourselves feel like we're doing something. But at the end of the day, what impact did you have? What did you what did you actually accomplish? Because you can have, you know, um, little reminders on your calendar. You can have tasks th that you check off. But what's the big picture for the day? You know, the, the night before when you were prepping for the morning, you knew what you had to accomplish. You wake up and you do 13 other things. You didn't work on the two things that you said you were going to do. Did you really accomplish what you had to? Now, some days fires happen. I get it. You have to put the you know fires out. But the, the busyness, I, I believe, is something that our culture almost, you know, we're just bombarded, right? Whether it's social media, you know, all these ads, all these things, let's consume all these movies, all these things on the streaming devices. We're, we're just susceptible to the distractions. And so distractions are now being labeled as busy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, including myself at times, you, it's easy to fall asleep at, at the wheel of your own life. You know, <laughs> you're just kind of, living and 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 doing and and checking off tasks without saying what did i really accomplish and at mm -hmm. the end of the day what what is my goal like what what am i trying to do now mm -hmm. for you i just just from knowing you and and seeing some of the things you post about i i believe that you coaching and and helping people that that's just got to be a gift and something that like god gave you like this desire to to help people but i also mm -hmm. probably recognize a lot of coaches that I know have had like an old them uh, before maybe they had coaching or they learned some of the principles about coaching and then have seen mm -hmm. the, the fruit of the new them on the back end of having a coach or some form of accountability or something. Is that, is yeah. that, has that been an experience for you? Oh man, absolutely. And old Dan still makes his way into new Dan's life sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old, old Dan was not self-aware. Uh, old Dan was, very timid, very shy. I mean, I'm a raging extrovert, um, which is funny. Some people are like, oh, okay. Uh, but if you had known me in high school, you'd have been like, no way. I walked into class. I sat down. I listened to the teacher. I didn't talk to people. I was just in my own world. And I, and I think part of it is like, I've always wanted to respect authority in that way. And I've always thought like, oh, I'm respecting authority by being attentive, by paying attention. Uh, so that was, you know, something that was going on, be very quiet, didn't stand up for myself, didn't speak up for myself, would just take whatever was thrown at me. Uh, definitely not a disciplined person, and I'm still working on discipline. I don't think you'll ever perfect that. Um, and so those are definitely some of the characteristics I think about when I think about old Dan. Uh, and old Dan is, I mean, new Dan um, has transformed through coaching, has been, has learned how he can be disciplined um, and has learned tools in which, you know, to, to be aware of, you know, am I wasting my time or where am I spending my time? And God gave me a wonderful wife uh, to poke and prod me when I am going astray or when I am not focusing where I need to be focusing. Uh, so she's, she gets really most of the credit because now she's the one who's uh, having to air traffic control me when I'm going off the rails. Um, but it, it's a real thing going, you know, seeing a transformation from how you were before self-aware, even self-awareness, like understanding who I am and how I communicate and what's the best way to communicate with me. 
Um, and then as soon as you begin to understand those things, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Well, now when you're communicating with a coworker, it's like, oh, I've noticed that they're actually different than me. Like, I don't really like the details, but when I start to tell them about a work project, they're asking me about all these details, huh? It sounds like, or it seems like they like details. Maybe I should ask them, hey, do you prefer if I come to you with like this long set of details and tasks? And they're like, yes, please. And it's, you know, epiphany moment because we're not all the same. You know, you one thing that aggravated me at one of the financial institutions I worked at was we had a manager who tried to manage everyone the same. And it would make me so mad because I was not the same as this person. But you you can't, we are not cookie cutter. Everyone has different strengths, weaknesses, gifts, uh, abilities. And so you need to manage to that. And it's, a, it's work as a leader, right? It's work to have that Rolodex in your mind and remember this is so-and-so that, you know, they prefer this. So it takes time. And if you don't have a common language around that, if you don't have that commonality, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. Yeah. I love that you're talking about self-awareness. Um, I know you're a working genius fan. I am a, I, Hey, I'm a big disc fan. I, I will say I'm a working genius junkie. Um, and I've been learning a lot about that recently. And they always say that, um, the best leaders are self-aware leaders. So regardless of what your yep. results are on any assessment that you take, mm -hmm. the best thing you can do to be a great leader is just to understand how you are wired. And then you can figure out how to fill in the gaps. And like with the working genius specifically, it's less about, and I know you know this, but for the listener, it's, it's less about strengths and weaknesses and more about what brings you energy in life and then what drains you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, I know my, my sweet spots where I could just go for 48 hours with no sleep. And then I know the things that are going to drain me. And so I can plan my day, uh, try to plan some of my conversations and just, again, be aware that like my bend is not going to be towards enablement, which is one of the factors um, in the working genius. And so it doesn't mean I'm bad at it, but like learning to um, le learning to do that. And then another thing that you said, um, this is kind of a, a little uh, pithy saying that I've been loving recently. You know, the golden rule is treat everybody the way that you want to be treated. Well, I think the golden rule gets it wrong. You spoke to that. It's treat everybody the way that they want to be treated because we're all wired differently. And you yep. don't want to lead everybody the same. So I love the call to create some form of a common language and understand the way that other people wanted to be treated because it's likely not the same the way that you want to be. Totally. Yeah, I love the working genius. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, yeah, love love that assessment. Love the book, um, the podcast. So like if anyone's listening, definitely check out those resources because uh, I'll get off my soapbox soapbox in a second, but working genius, you know, in tandem with other assessments is great because I like to look at the productivity aspect, like what types of work bring someone joy and what types of work really destroy them? Because that will really tell you a lot about what you're doing on the day-to-day -day basis. I'm coaching one of our, an old roommate of my wife's uh, back in Massachusetts. And I had her take the working genius. I had her, uh, well, she's taken the disc before. So I looked at both of those things and we've been, we started talking about, hey, what types of work actually are you doing? And so the frustrations, it makes sense. We've talked about the reason why, you know, there are certain things that certain types of meetings may not um, be as fun for this individual. Um, also, the things that bring her joy. Oh, yeah, I do love this. I do love that. It's all starting to make sense. And I just got a, a voice memo from her the other night and was like, hey, we were debriefing on this thing. 
and I had self-awareness in this area and I got to do this. And I got to say this and I was I was blown away, you know, because as a coach, my hope is that my clients that I'm working with, that they're going to do the work, you know, because I'm not the one doing the work. I'm asking questions. I'm helping them navigate and figure out which way they need to go. But they need to have the onus to, to own it and they need to be the ones who actually take action and make it happen. And so getting that, you know, that nighttime text message was the best because it shows me that she cares and she's taking action and, and making it happen. So that was super encouraging. Man, I love to hear that. And and I like what you said, nobody's going to do the work for you. It's good. And in most cases necessary for us to have accountability in our lives, which I know that, that you are doing a good job of like providing for others. But you know, at the end of the day, we, we've got to take ownership of our own mm -hmm. lives and, and do the work. So I I'm definitely happy to hear that. Um, but as we are, as we're wrapping up here, uh, you mentioned that you got married young and I know a, a lot of my listeners are, are, uh, young professionals and, you know, you, you go through middle school, high school, college, people are doing similar activities or similar mm -hmm. ages. And then it's like, and obviously you don't have to go to college, think 18 to 22 years old in that time frame. people either, you know, go live in their parents' basement or start a business and start making millions of dollars. People are either single for 10 years or they get married. They either never have kids or they have five kids before they're 35. Like, I feel like that's when like everything just gets crazy. Like, and, and then there's the rat race and comparison and all that, but just curious to, I, I'd love to learn about your experience getting married young. Uh, maybe some of the hard things that you learned, some of the benefits, uh, maybe encouragement you have to people that are married young. Um, would love to just hear a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, getting married is awesome. And it's also one of the most difficult things you'll do because you, you realize how selfish you are. And then, then you have kids like you, you and your wife just did. And then you realize mm -hmm. how still, how you're so selfish, right? It's like, as soon as you bring another life into this world, it goes to another level. Hey everyone, unfortunately we had some technical difficulties, so we had to cut the episode short, but I felt like there was so much value in this from Dan that uh, it was still worth putting out there. And so we may just have to do a part two for the rest of what he was going to share, but thank you for listening. I know you learned a lot from him just like I did. Make sure to check him out on LinkedIn, reach out to him. He would love to help you. I'll see you on Monday. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead.